Hi, I'm Walter Lane, and you've tuned in to a sermon podcast from the Netherwood Park Church of Christ in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks for listening. good to be with you this morning. I need to make an announcement. I know some of you know, but not all of you know, that our dear sister in Christ, Sylvia Strickland, passed away Thursday evening. I'd ask you to keep uh, Angie and Josh in your prayers with this loss. This is a victory for Sylvia. She passes from this physical world, but it certainly leaves a hole in their lives. So keep them in your prayers. Also, I want you to know that a memorial service for Sylvia will be held here at Netherwood next Saturday at 11 o'clock. And I hope that many of you can be here for that. So next Saturday at 11. I want to give you an update on our Bible reading challenge. We haven't done this in a while. So far to date as a congregation, we've reported reading 1,633 books of the Bible. So good job continue to do that. I also want you to know that once more this year, we'll do a sprint to the finish. Starting the first part of October, we'll encourage everybody to read through the New Testament in the final three months of the year, so be watching for that as well. The reason that we do have these challenges is that we want to encourage everybody to be immersed in God's Word. I want to encourage everybody to make Bible reading and Bible study a regular part of their day, so please consider doing that as well. We believe that the Word of God is powerful. It shapes us. It moves us. God works through His Word, so we believe in the power of God's Word. We also want you to know that we believe in the power of prayer. We are a praying church. We would love to pray for you If you have a prayer request, something that's going on in your life or the life of someone that you know and love, we would love to hear about that so that we can lift that request up in prayer. We'd ask you to take one of the green cards that you'll find in front of you, fill out your prayer request on that card, drop it in one of our collection boxes, and we will honor your request. You can find two collection boxes at the back of the auditorium. You can find a third one through these double doors up here at the front. We believe in the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful and effective. We also want you to know that we believe in the power of baptism. That's why we are a baptizing church. We believe that it's in baptism that we join with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that we rise up out of the water as new creatures, clothed with Jesus Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, made new to walk in his steps. 
So if you're here this morning and you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. And to have that conversation, I would encourage you to take that same green card, turn it over, fill out your contact information, check the box about baptism, drop it in one of those boxes, and we'll contact you right away, and we'll start that conversation. We believe in the power of baptism. We also want you to know that we believe in the power of the church, and the church universal and also the church local. We believe that every Christian should be part of a local congregation. God gave us the church, and God gave us each other. We're able to accomplish so much more together than we ever could individually and apart. So if you are a Christian and you have not yet let us know that you'd like to be a member of this church, of Netherwood Park Church of Christ, we'd encourage you to take that same green card. Again, fill out your contact information, check the box about membership, and we'll contact you right away and we'll have that conversation as well. The church is powerful. Well, this morning we'll be continuing with our uncomfortable sermon series. What we're doing is we're refocusing on our theme for the year at Netherwood Park. And our theme for the year is out of the boat, living uncomfortably. And in this series, each week we have started with with, uh, having some thoughts about what's going on, how we want to be more uncomfortable, how we want to be out on the water. We've been asking ourselves some questions, some questions for us to reflect on, some questions to help set the stage. One of the questions we've been asking is, has our Christianity become too comfortable? Has it become too easy? Has it become too cheap? And we've also been asking if our comforts or our quest for comforts is holding us back. If our quest for comforts has been anchoring us to our boats, it's preventing us from following Jesus Christ in his work out on the sometimes scary waters. So a few weeks ago, I presented seven warning signs that would indicate that our Christianity has become too comfortable. Each of those signs points to a particular danger. And what we're doing now is we're digging deeper into each of those signs, each of those threats to our walk with God. So let me quickly review those seven warning signs that our Christianity has become too comfortable Warning sign number one, your Christianity has become too comfortable if there's no friction between your Christianity and your partisan politics. Warning sign number two, your Christianity has become too comfortable if the plight of the poor and the displaced and the suffering in our world, if that doesn't concern you, if that doesn't move you to action. Warning sign number three, your Christianity has become too comfortable if the amount of time and the amount of money that you give to your church doesn't require you to sacrifice any of your own desires. Warning sign number four, your Christianity has become too comfortable if what you do here on Sunday morning, what you do here as we gather around the Lord's table, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we listen and reflect to God's word, reflect on his word. If what we do when we gather together with our brothers and sisters, if that doesn't impact the rest of our week, then our Christianity has become too comfortable. 
Warning sign number five. Your Christianity has become too comfortable if you are convinced that you don't have the time to engage in even the simplest of spiritual activities during the rest of your week. Warning sign number six is the sign that we talked about last week. Your Christianity has become too comfortable if there's no noticeable difference between you and the rest of the world. If you blend in, if your Christianity is camouflaged. And warning sign number seven, that's the sign that we'll be exploring more today. Your Christianity has become too comfortable if there's no mystery, if there's no wonder, if there's no unanswered questions in your Christian walk, then your Christian, your Christianity has become too comfortable. So what do I hope to accomplish this morning? Well, I do have a goal this morning, and my goal is for each and every one of us to leave here today more mystified than when we came in the door. And I know some of you are thinking, well, I leave mystified every time after you preach, Walter. It's really not that big of a deal. I think you can accomplish that. Now, my, my goal isn't for you to leave here more confused than when you arrived. I don't have to work very hard to make that happen. But to leave here more mystified. Mystified in the sense of more full of wonder. More aware that our God is way beyond our ability to fully understand. That our God is way beyond our ability to fully explain. That our God is way beyond us. See, our God is mysterious. And if we lose our sense of awe and we lose our sense of wonder over who he is and how he works, if our minds aren't blown by the magnitude of his greatness, then I'm fully convinced that we're going to end up with a watered-down faith and with very uninspired worship. So I want to take a few moments. I want to, to let the Bible remind us about the mystery and the wonder and the awesomeness of our God. The 40th chapter of Isaiah is a message of great comfort. It's given to God's people. It's given to Israel. But the comfort that Isaiah offers isn't the comfort of the familiar. It's not the comfort of the routine. Instead, he provides comfort by telling them about power, telling them about mystery, It's the grown-up equivalent of the children's verse. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing our God cannot do. Listen to some excerpts from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. 
Well, the Psalms are full of similar reminders of God's great power and mystery. Listen to King David's words from Psalm 145. David writes, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of your glorious splendor and majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of your awesome works and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And Paul picks up on that theme in that wonderful doxology from Romans chapter 11 that we just read. When Paul says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, we need to get comfortable with the fact that we can't fathom God's understanding. Comfortable with the fact that we can't comprehend his greatness. Comfortable with the fact that we can't grasp his judgments and we can't discern his past, his coming and his going. Those things are too rich for us to digest. Those things are too deep for us to plumb. Leonard talked about it as we were gathered around the table. He talked about the conversation that Job has with God. And I've always loved that conversation. It's a very one-sided conversation that God has with Job. You'll find that conversation through chapters 38 through 42 of Job. And in that, God reorients Job. He reminds Job of where the two of them, where he God and Job stand, where they stand in relationship with each other. And God does that reorienting through a series of very much rhetorical questions. Leonard already read some, but let me just give you a taste of that conversation. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. What is the way to the abode of light and where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Do you have an arm like God's, and can your voice thunder like his? And this goes on and on. One rhetorical question after another, all designed to remind Job and to remind us of the gap, of the great chasm that exists between our knowledge and our power and our understanding and God's knowledge and God's power. 
and God's understanding. God's ways are gloriously mysterious. So when God asked Job, where were you? Job can only answer and we can only answer, not there. And when God asked, have you? The answer must be, I have not. And when God asked, can you? We can only admit that we cannot. And when God asks, do you, we can only reply, I do not. And when finally God asks, then who did? And who does? And who was and who is? We must confess, God, you did and I did not. God, you do and I do not. God, you were and I was not. God, you are and I am not. He is God and we are not. And it should blow our minds that the God of the universe has chosen to reveal so much of himself to us. And through his scripture, and especially through his son, Jesus Christ, in the flesh, God has revealed so much to us. But even with all of that, we only see and we only understand a part of God's wonder. A part of God's majesty. There are secret things that aren't ours to see and aren't ours to understand. Those things belong to the Lord, our God. And I want to tell you, that's caused a problem for mankind from the very beginning. Stretching from Adam and Eve in the garden to to the Tower of Babel, to Israel as they lived among the nations, to the Pharisees and the rabbis of Jesus' time, to you and me and our fellow Christians of this time, God's people have struggled, we're uncomfortable with, we have problems with accepting the mystery of God. And part of that problem is an internal problem. We simply aren't comfortable with mystery of any kind. That's especially true for those of us living in this so-called enlightened world. Those of us living in this post-industrial, highly educated, very rational, information-rich Western world aren't comfortable with mystery. We like for everything to be explained. We like for everything to be understood. We like for everything to be tied up with logical, neat little bows. It's an affront to our arrogance to even suggest that there are mysteries that are beyond our understanding. So what do we do? Well, we explain mysteries away with increasingly convoluted arguments. And our same arrogance, coupled with our insecurities, that leads to the second and an external problem we have in acknowledging the mystery of God. And that's that we simply hate to appear ignorant. We hate to ever admit that we don't know. So when questioned about God by our unbelieving friends, we aren't comfortable admitting that his ways are too rich for us to digest. 
His ways are too deep for us to plumb. So we focus on the rational and we focus on the logical, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that unless we ignore and leave out the mystical. See, we're uncomfortable in confessing the mystery. We're uncomfortable confessing that he did and I did not. And he does and I do not. And he was and I was not. And he is and I am not. We're also uncomfortable in celebrating that mystery. In being able to make Paul's words our words. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be the glory forever. Amen. See, that isn't ignorance talking. No, that's humility and worship talking. That's celebration talking. Celebrating that God is and we are not. Celebrating that he is God and we are not. So how do we get more comfortable with the mystery of God? Well, let me ask you a question. What kind of God are you looking for? What kind of God are you looking for? Are you looking for a God who goes where you want him to go? A God who does what you want him to do? A God who says what you want him to say? A God who doesn't make any demands, but accepts your demands? If that's what you're looking for, You're looking for a God that you made instead of a God who made you. Various places in the Bible, including in Isaiah and Habakkuk, there are some delightful passages that point out the folly of worshiping gods, gods who do what they are told to do. Listen first to Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah says, The carpenter measures with a line, And makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man. Of man in all his glory which will dwell in a shrine. He goes out and he cuts down a tree. And half the wood he burns in the fire. And over that fire he prepares his meal. And he roasts his meat and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, ah, I am warm, I see the fire. And from the rest of the wood, he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, save me, you are my god. But these idols know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see. And their minds are closed so they cannot understand. And Habakkuk adds these words. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life. Or to the lifeless stone, wake up. 
Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver, but there's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What kind of God are you looking for? Are you looking for a God who's silent, a God who's mute? Are you looking for a God who's so glorious that before him you must remain silent? So if we don't want mystery, we can make God in our own image and he'll do what we say and he'll go where we send and he'll speak what we want to speak. But think about this. Do you really want a God that you can fully understand? Or do you want a God on whom you can fully depend? Because the only dependable God is also the mysterious God. So how do we live with this mystery? Well, as Christians, we're able to live comfortably with a God of mystery because he has also proven that he is a God of overwhelming love and overwhelming compassion. And why he loves us like he does is its own mystery. We can live with mystery because Jesus answers the greatest mystery of them all. And that mystery is how can sinful people like me and sinful people like you, how can we possibly be reconciled to the perfectly holy God? And the answer is Jesus. And if it doesn't blow your mind, if you don't find it wonderfully mysterious what Jesus did for us, then maybe we're the ones that are made out of wood instead of out of flesh and blood. Jesus left heaven. He was born to a virgin. He was tempted in every way without sinning. He took our sins on himself as he was killed on a cross. He was buried in a grave. He came to life after three days. He appeared to his disciples. He was taken to heaven. He left behind the spirit for his followers. He is now at the right hand of God interceding for us and he will come back to claim his own. Talk about wonderful mysteries. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Are you mystified yet? Are you full of wonder? Are you celebrating the fact that your God is way beyond your ability to understand, way beyond your ability to explain? Are you celebrating the fact that he did because you could not? And he does because you cannot. And he is because you are not. I want us to be mystified. I want us to be full of wonder, full of awe, full of celebration that He is God and we are not. Now let me end by giving you five 
traits, five signs that we truly are mystified by God. Trait number one, the truly mystified can be identified by their humility. We will live without arrogance. After all, we didn't solve the great mystery of reconciliation. That was given to us. He was given to us. So we are humbled by our need, and we're humbled by his gift. Trait number two, the mystified are identified by their trust, by their trust in God. See, we don't have to know exactly how God works to know that he will work. So we trust the one who is beyond our understanding. Trait number three, the mystified are identified by their contentment. They're more focused on knowing God than knowing everything there is about God. See, they understand and believe the promise that knowing Jesus is knowing enough. They are content. Trait number four, the mystified can be identified because they mind the gap. They respect the chasm between them and God. They celebrate that he is God and they are not. And they understand where they exist in relationship to their God. It's the limited who worship the limitless. And finally, trait number five. The mystified are identified because they are in awe of the awesome. They live with a sense of wonder. They live with a sense of expectation. They live with a sense of mystery. What will our God do next? They don't miss the mystery because of their certainty. They see new things because they know they haven't seen it all. They hear new things because they know they haven't heard it all. They learn new things because they know they don't know it all. And they come to understand new things because they know they don't understand it all. So brothers and sisters, may our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts be open to God's great mystery. He is wonderful. He is powerful. He is God and we are not. Let's pray. Father, how unsearchable are your judgments. Father, how deep are the riches of your wisdom and knowledge. Father, we know we can't know your mind. Father, we know that we can't counsel you. Father, we know that we cannot in any way repay you. For from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory forever. Amen. Let's end with an uncomfortable challenge. This is uncomfortable challenge number 35. And this, if I may be so humble, is an awesome challenge. Not because I came up with it, because it will help us to connect with and identify the awesomeness of God.
I want to encourage you sometime this week to get away from the city, to get away from the city lights, to get away from the hustle and the bustle of the city and just take time to watch a sunset or experience a thunderstorm or gaze at the stars and the moon and marvel at the wonder and the majesty and the mystery of God's creation. Reconnect with the mystery. Reconnect with the majesty. Reconnect with his power. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's bless the Lord. Let's worship his holy name. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.